0: In today's episode, we're talking about generational leadership. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience. We try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have driven success for them throughout their career? We take all those insights, and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, right now we are in the middle of a run where we're interviewing leaders in college athletic departments because that engagement We spend a lot of our time working with college athletic department leaders on things like optimizing their operations, overall customer experience and customer service, and finding incremental revenue streams with different finance and data and analytics background of people that we've brought from Disney backgrounds onto our team. So today's guest is Mitch Barnhart, the director of athletics at University of Kentucky. Uh, Mitch is one of my favorite leaders in college athletics, and he and I came across each other when Kentucky was renovating their stadium uh, a few years ago, and they brought my team in at Disney to come help them with customer experience, uh, customer service, and looking at it from a bunch of different angles. So uh, we got to know each other there, and what I really found was that Mitch had a, a true servant leader heart. Uh, and that is evidenced in the tree of leaders that he has produced uh, in this industry. So we're th- we're talking about leaders like Mark Coyle, the athletic director at Minnesota, uh, Murray State's athletic department leader, Kevin Saul. Uh, you've got guys like Greg Byrne, who's the head at Alabama. You've got people like Scott Strickland, who's the athletic director at University of Florida. Uh, Rob Mullins, the athletic director at Oregon. My friend Dwayne Peavy, who we've had on the show, the athletic director at DePaul University. So Mitch really leads his department around how do we thinking with this approach of how do we equip leaders to grow and how do we build people so that they can go out in the world and make a difference as opposed to what oftentimes happens in sports where we look at our employees as assets or commodities. So Mitch uh, is an incredible leader. We wanted to unpack how he views culture, how he views leadership. Uh, We thought those would be some really interesting insights for you guys as you look to innovate within your departments. Um, So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mitch Barnhart.
1: Mitch, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be with you.
0: Well, I'm excited to sit down with you and have this conversation. Uh, We are going to cover a whole bunch of things. We're going to primarily focus on leadership. But before Mm -hmm. we do that, you guys have some ambitious goals as a department. uh, And I want to talk about some of the overarching Mm -hmm. trends that are in the industry right now with you, because you have been here working in this industry for so long. You've seen so many different evolutions. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your take on some of these things before we jump in. Does that work?
1: Glad to do it. Let's go.
0: All right. Um, so first thing, obviously, for you guys, you've got a goal to be kind of top five and really high in the standings on the Athletic mm-hmm. Directors Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm passionate about hearing where you're going to go and how you're going to get there. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is is kind of labor shortage, though. I, I know that mm-hmm. it's not super related to being in the the Athletic Directors Cup, but I think it it ties to your success as an apartment. So overall, we've seen the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, Tyra at Louisville, Del Conte at Texas come out and, and kind of apologize from a game day experience mm-hmm. perspective uh, on how the labor shortage has impacted that customer experience. Have you guys seen that? Have you started to see that internally or externally on the fan side of things?
1: Well, I think that you know, there's no no secret that the, the times have changed since we've coming out of the pandemic. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with with, um, obviously stadium sizes and population bases and those, those kind of pieces. We made an intentional decision several years ago to downsize our stadium a little bit to take it to about 60,000 seats. And for us, that's the right size for the population base that we're in. The other piece is um, the history that we've had of developing a labor force and and the people that have worked with us. And, And we've got a very loyal group of people that have worked with us for years and, uh, we've had partnerships with uh, folks that have come in and worked with us to develop those partnerships. And um, you've been a part of that conversation with us many years ago with a, a man by the name of Kevin Saul, who's now the athletic director at Murray State University. And and Kevin was really intentional about trying to develop our people. And so we've had the combination, I think, right-sized facility for us plus a very well-developed loyal workforce for us has we haven't had those uh, as many issues now there were we were concerned early on that everyone was going to be able to come back and be with us mm-hmm. and and you know and and part of that was some of those our folks are more in my age group and and a little nervous about the pandemic you know being around that number of people that was a challenge and so um once we sort of work through some of those pieces everybody has worked their way back and We've had a few folks, but by and large, um, they have done a remarkable job the first three games of the season. And and with all of our other venues coming, um, being fully engaged, um, it's been um, volleyball. We've had great crowds at volleyball, incredible uh, uh, indoor crowds, very different from our outdoor crowds in football. Our soccer crowds have been really, really good. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, I'm very appreciative um, I think that they have been uh, spectacular. So we haven't had some of those issues. I, I can see we're having an 80, 90, 100,000-seat facility um, and, and requiring so many more workers to be there. Um, it can cause you some operational challenges, and whether that's in the concessions or the entry points to your to your stadium or even just the the helping the people in the, in the bowl of the stadium. So uh, we've been fortunate. We have not. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with – um, a longstanding tradition of, of developing and working with those people and being appreciative of who they are.
0: I a couple of really interesting points in there. I mean, one, you guys have done an incredible job with the, the blue coats, if I remember is mm-hmm. what they're called, right? We're caring for that group, developing that group, not just looking at it as, oh, this is an outsourced third party that they're mm-hmm. going to come in and, and do their job and get their paycheck and their warm bodies. You guys mm-hmm. have really created a program here that People care about UK. They come to work mm-hmm. here not because of the paycheck that they're getting. They mm-hmm. come because of the association, the people, their friends in that group. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to that group, and and they're like, "It's it's a club yep. that they're a part yep. of," as yep. opposed to just people getting bussed in from another city. No,
1: it's been very very important, and, and I tell you, they take pride in, in making it a good a good a quality game day experience for people. And. Yeah. And, again, not, we're not perfect. Uh, we'll get we'll get a, the letters on Monday that say, hey, this didn't work well. My, my, my soda was bad. This was so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, um, I think Kevin um, has uh, done it. He did a great job of getting us started. Um, we've passed that along to um, the folks that are running our, our, our stuff day to day. And um, uh, I'm just really proud of our, our team. They've, they've worked really hard at it and in a really difficult restart, to the way we do work. They've done a great job.
0: I I love it. And I think something else I want to unpack too, is you mentioned about right sizing the -hmm. venue, thinking Mm -hmm. about what is your fan base here? What can we really serve Mm -hmm. and serve well? Mm -hmm. And I I think this is something for anybody thinking about expanding their Mm -hmm. venue. Uh, I'm a big proponent of not expanding your venue and instead Mm -hmm. looking at how can we make it better for for the people that are coming right now, just Mm -hmm. because you've got a big demand, you can change your price points, but Mm -hmm. you can't always fill that thing. And Mm -hmm. even at some of the biggest venues that we work with, you got one game a year where you're selling that thing out. Mm -hmm. The rest of the year is not sold out. And so I I think part of of that too is people get so attracted to, oh, we can get more ticket revenue, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily think about what you hit on is how do we actually operate when we've got, all these more people that are on campus that are coming into the venue. And I think that's just something really important to think about that you guys have thought about here.
1: Uh, And the other parts of that as well is I think that when you've got the right size facility, the ticket becomes more valuable and uh, you don't have this plethora of tickets out there that uh, are uh, just sitting and I think that we've been able to find what works for Kentucky is about 61,000 seats in football. Even in, in basketball, we're down at 21,500, which um, in today's world is, is the right place for us. And uh, so uh, we were at 23,500 until a couple of years ago, and we reworked some things in Rupp Arena and, and changed some of our seating uh, bowl and our, our structure up top with where we put media. And and that changed us a little bit. And so I think that it's been the right size for us, and we'll continue to look at that. And it doesn't mean we're changing again, but I do believe that the times are changing. and We've got to be able to adjust to uh, the, the television environment, the media, and, and, and consumer demand and who who all is traveling to all the games and and uh, discretionary money and discretionary time that people have. And and there, to,
0: and to my mind, I mean, coming out of a, a project that we're, we're wrapping up with a, a school right now, Around there are other ways to make revenue other than ticket sales, and you just right. hit on some of them. And, and so that's one of the projects we've just been wrapping up is a revenue generation project mm-hmm. around that. And it doesn't always need to be ticket sales. Have the right venue and, and serve your people well right. and look at other ways to give them opportunities to buy different things. Um, well, let, let's talk about kind of fans as you mm-hmm. as you mentioned uh, of who's coming here how, how are they coming mm-hmm. uh, I know one thing that we've had a lot of conversations about with different schools is this fan churn if you will mm-hmm. uh, worry that not a, maybe not all the fans are coming back how do we maybe get more diverse as a fan base mm-hmm. right I think there are definitely some schools where you look out into the crowd and see a lot of the same faces and mm-hmm. maybe those faces are getting older um, mm-hmm. so how do you diversify your fan base I know that's a a topic right now that we hear in a lot of private conversations. So how are you guys tackling this issue with data and analytics or in other Mm -hmm. ways?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of pieces to that. And I think there is great concern. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think there's issues in our in our landscape. Uh, You have coach churn where the faces of the coaches are changing a lot. I think stability for us has been really, really important. Um, our coaches, we've got, I think of our 16 head coaches, 11 of them have been with us longer than 10 years, which in today's landscape is pretty unusual. Um, so we're pretty fortunate in that. And a couple of them are pretty close to that number. Like coach Stoops has been here nine years. So stability and people beginning to understand who they're, who they're coming to see and why is really, really important. Two, I think the other challenges you've got are a little bit in, in the, in the student athletes, they're not, they're changing landscapes a little bit with the one-time transfer and sometimes them going pro sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, familiarizing yourself, your fan base with your young people in your program has become increasingly more difficult. Throw in a pandemic and you've got another issue altogether. So really, really a difficult uh, task. And, and we've tried to work really hard to continue to familiarize and, and be close to our fan base.
0: One of the things I want to hear from you is in some of the conversations that you've had with your peers across Mm -hmm. the industry or different donors, maybe themselves, uh, how is this rapidly changing landscape where LSU is doing partnerships with a sports Mm -hmm. book or athletic departments? I think Cal just did one with a crypto company. There's so many new things being infused into Mm -hmm. the landscape. What is the perception or the impact that that's having on donors that are out there in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, I, I go back to. I think that there's, you know, the, what the the old saying is: uh, methods are many, principles are few. Methods will always change, principles never do. Um, I'm a true believer that your principles and who you are and your core who you must be can't change. It, it cannot vary your principles. Now it doesn't mean your methods to get to those principles you don't adjust. Um, I think each institution has to look at where their core, and their heartbeat for their people resides. And they have to make decisions based upon their landscape, their culture, and those folks. For us at Kentucky, um, the landscape of making sure that we understand the 4 million people that live in the state that that follow the BBN um, around the world, frankly, um, is critically important that we represent that the right way. And our relationships and the people that we are affiliated with um, represent their heartbeats, and so um, what may work for a school on the West Coast or a school in the Deep South um, might not work for us. It might might work, and it might work, um, you know, at a later date. But currently, there are certain things I think that we want to be about, and the way we'll um, conduct ourselves and the, and the relationships that we'll have that will be critical to us moving forward. Um, i think our methods will continue to will continue to what I, I what i'm trying to stay away from is massive fluctuations we're going to be on one end of the spectrum one day and the next day we're in some place mm. we want to, we want to gently walk, go through these choppy waters i think the waters are extremely choppy in the landscape of college athletics right now and so being steady in that and and, uh, and gently navigating those those choppy waters i think is of critical importance
0: do they feel harder to navigate than they did five years ago or is it still the same kind of choppiness it's just you know happening a little bit faster no
1: i i think that um probably a a little i'll say a combination of both i think there are there's new waters and and sometimes Mm -hmm. those tend to to feel like they're a little bit uh, bigger waves coming at you um i do believe that um we had challenges back then i think we 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 found our way through some of those and but all of a sudden you're faced with new stuff so um I think the pandemic accentuated some of that. The financial pieces have become more difficult. Um, the uh, It's it's caused the ripple of what has happened in there, whether it's relating to student-athlete, um, the things we would do for student-athlete welfare in terms of food, medical care, and those pieces, travel, uh, games that we need to play um, in terms of getting to them, lodging, those kind of those expenses continue to ratchet up on the financial side revenues are getting tighter on the other side we've got to find a way to maximize our revenues so those waters get choppy and then then all of the pieces that go that we've just discussed some of those things about but i think at the end of the day it's relational it has to be relational and um so i've i've challenged our staff to work really hard um to maintain those relationships internally as well as externally and that we work um, daily to try and find a way to, uh, to keep, uh, the balance between, um, a new age of, of doing business and a relationship piece that I think is critical to, to being able to move forward. I love it. When you,
0: when you think about the next five years and what's on the landscape, what do you feel like the hardest thing to navigate will be for, for someone in your role or, or maybe it's at the deputy role as well?
1: I think we've got to go. We've got to get through this this um, landscape of trying to understand um, the relationship between the department and the fan base, and the department and student athletes, and, and making sure that that we can bridge those those pieces. Um, it's a challenge. It's a little, real challenge, and uh, trying to make sure that we don't lose the educational um, mindset of what we're trying to do to to give young people a chance to begin the next journey in their life I think it's really important and making sure that our donors are still our donors and our fans are still plugged into to that mission um, the mission um it's the landscape is changing mm-hmm. no question but the mission again that what we're trying to get done is still educate young people and give them an opportunity to play um, college athletics at the highest level and that's the mission and uh, so I don't want to lose sight of that
0: I think it definitely has gotten harder, mm-hmm. especially. I mean, we were talking to somebody on an external team uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago, and I, I think some of the challenge becomes: all right, if you're you're rolling up t-shirts and throwing those into the crowd as a leader, how do you tie that to? Well, this is really about the student athlete, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and in their mind, I'm I'm getting the fans excited. I'm not really impacting the student athlete experience, but without the fans there, you can't have the student athlete experience, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's a, it's an interesting dynamic i think that your to your point is one of the it has been one of the mm-hmm. hardest things of tying both at our core we want to serve fans but we're doing that so that we can serve student athletes and balancing that as a leader seems really tough and is getting tougher
1: well i, I think what has happened too in the world it, it's not just college athletics it's the world but it's it's manifests itself in the world of college athletics we've we've found a way to live in polar positions I'm going to live completely on this end of the spectrum or completely on the other end of the spectrum. I'm I'm not going to find balance. And and I keep using that word with our staff over and over. Find the balance in the conversation. Whatever that is, we want new revenue. How do we create new revenue without harming our fan base? How do we create an experience without harming folks that might not want that same experience? (laughs) How do we make sure that for our student-athletes, the educational opportunity is balanced with the opportunity to seek a professional opportunity. Um, all of those conversations, we tend to to want to go to one end of the spectrum or another. There is a middle ground. There is balance in that that we can find, and I think that the sooner that we get to that spot, the better off we'll all be.
0: Beautiful. Well, that brings us to talking about leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my mind, and I think I think for a lot of people, you've probably got the largest sitting uh, the largest tree of other ADs that have at some point worked for you. Now, it was you and Kevin for a long time. And now that Kevin is uh, retiring, uh, you've, I think, got that role, right? Mm. So, for you, though, I mean, to start this leadership conversation off, I want to hear who is the most impactful leader that you ever worked for and what about their leadership style mm-hmm. have you incorporated into your own?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I've been absolutely fortunate. I mean, I've had incredible, incredible leaders in and that, in that, that I've worked for. Um, I can think of my time at Tennessee. was so impacted by a man by the name of Doug Dickey. He was the director of athletics when I was there. He hired me. And I worked for him for 12 years, and and I think the first thing he taught me was – a toughness about the way you had to, to to be able to be able to manage the job. Uh, there was things that were going to come at you that required a level of toughness. Um, you didn't need to be a martyr about it. Uh, you accepted the role on the front end, knowing that it came with some hardships and some things that were going to be difficult and some good days and some bad days. And to be able to stay the course and be, be thoughtful, and that was really, really important. The, the other two leaders I thought that were really important um were you know a couple well I've had two or three I've been I've been very fortunate I've, I've been doing this for 25 years as an athletic director and at the end of the day um the three presidents I've worked for I've been very very blessed by mm. um my president at Oregon State uh, who's since passed away is a, a gentleman by the name of Paul Risser um an amazing amazing man who basically said you know what I trust you go do your work um I know you're going to make a mistake or two, but I believe in what you're doing. Get to get after it. He was amazing. Dr. Lee Todd, who hired me at, at Kentucky, was a businessman who bought, you know, built and, and sold a couple of businesses who loved this place. He was a Kentuckian and he taught me what it was to to embrace uh, a state. Um, and to want to make the state better at a higher level than just your department. He wanted to do something for the state of Kentucky, and I always admired that. And I said, man, that's what I want to do. I want to make sure that we do that for our state. And the other thing he said, you know, he, he had a real business approach to the way he did his work and, and entrepreneurship and the way he approached it, which was really well, well done. And then Dr. Capiluto, my the president I currently work for, uh, is, a, is a man who is, is just so thoughtful, and he, he thinks about everybody. And and I can honestly say I look back in times in my career, and and there was times I, I was pretty singularly focused on what I thought, and I, I didn't didn't try and understand other viewpoints. And Doctor Capilouto is wonderful about trying to understand everyone's viewpoint. At the end of the day, he'll make the decision he thinks best. But uh, the, so, but those are some leaders that have uh, that have mm-hmm. done that have taught me different things. Um, but uh, I really was mentored in in a lot of ways by them, and and I, I probably incorporated chunks of of different things that they they taught me. Beautiful.
0: Well, let, let's talk a little bit about kind of creating this leadership, uh, the, the culture at which you've developed leaders, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's by accident that mm-hmm. so many great other ADs that are sitting right now have come through here. How have you focused on creating a culture where others can grow? Uh, how have you approached maybe some heuristics or some frameworks as to what that culture internally looks like? Because I, I think about the role of the head AD. And a lot of that is setting the tone, setting the culture for the, for the department. What are the behaviors that we're actually looking for here? So what are some maybe mental models you've used to develop leaders within this culture?
1: Um, I think that, you know, there's, there's a variety of, of ways to approach this thing. I've, I've always, everybody says, well, what books do you read? And I, and I gotta be honest with you, I got, I got a little tired of reading leadership books. Um, I thought there were so many of them. I mean, I, you, you Google the word leadership and there's literally Thousands upon thousands of entries, and nobody's going to tell you how to do it. And and, and I'm not going to not going to let this escape. I mean, this is uh, it's been the heartbeat of who I've been, and and uh, and, and it's it's a biblical approach to it. Frankly, uh, to be honest with you, um, it's the principles that I've put in place that have a biblical foundation for me. It is personal to me, and it may not be that way for everybody, but they are biblical in the way I've I've structured them. But the, there's five principles, and one is to have a character of the heart. People that want to make right decisions, you got to start with that. I don't believe you can start with anything other than that. Um, you've got a people that, that, arguably, want to make your organization do do right by the people in your organization. So that was first and foremost for me. Secondly, I think you got to have great integrity, and I think those are brain decisions. You have to understand the boundaries with which you're supposed to operate. You're going to be guided by a set of rules, and you got to know the rules. And you got to say, I'm going to, I'm going to make a conscious brain decision to make sure that I stay within that framework. So the combination of the heart decisions, knowing what in your gut is right or wrong, com- combined with the, the things that are on paper that say, these are the rules, you will follow them. That's where I start with that. And I try and hire people of, and find people in our program, student athletes, coaches, staff, that emulate those two pieces. Have we been 100%? No, we have not been. We've not been 100%. But we started with those two pieces of, of right people. So so
0: is the integrity aspect is that a little bit I mean is that does accountability fall into that part of part of the the framework?
1: yeah, I think so you know i I, I think that we do hold people accountable to a pretty at a pretty high level um you know but I also give people room to make mistakes um, I think that you know that uh, if I was mistake free, I guess I could walk around and expect everybody else to be mistake free, but that's certainly not the case with me. I've made more than my share. Uh, and my emotions and my pride have gotten the best of me on multiple occasions where I've, I've let it get away from me. And so I want to make sure that I give enough uh, enough grace to others that that might need that room as well. Um, the third thing we talk about is having great knowledge. You have to be a lifelong learner. And I think different people learn in different ways. And different people seek knowledge in different ways. And so I want people to want to be learners. And that doesn't mean that we're trying every new thing that comes down the pike. i I weary of that. I think that there's certain things that you just core to who you are, but you just continue to get better and find a way to get better at those things. And so knowledge is important. How
0: do you how do you encourage that in in your leaders that are up and coming? If if they don't have that love of learning inherently, is that something that you say you either have that or you don't, or no. is that something that you can I think inspire? you can
1: develop it. You can develop that. We, we've got a leadership institute that we run within our department. Um, I've got a guy by the name of Jason Cummins that we worked with a, a company called Horizon Institute. And Horizon is a group that works with, a lot with companies and, and some uh, military organizations. And and they're, uh, they've worked with us for six, seven, eight years now. And uh, they do a, we do a variety of things. And with our student-athletes, it's no different than a lot of schools do. I'm sure that everyone does it. But uh, we do stuff with our student leaders. We call them our captains, whatever you want to call them. We bring in them once a month, and we're very intentional about the way we lead those folks and getting them to think about being really great leaders. We've got um, uh, a group of aspiring staff and coaches that want to be head coaches and athletic directors and we we've got a group for them they can sign up and we have a monthly class we walk them through a curriculum that teaches them uh, through this this group and and jason was the start of that i brought him in our student a- he ran our student athletic experience for us on staff and when he came on staff uh, a gentleman by the name of sean umbrose come on staff with us now and he does all of our leadership training and then and then we just continue to uh, work through our head coaches and and our all staff meetings and just continuing to have moments where we, we teach about the things that, we're, that are uh, important to that. So uh, I think that we're, we're, we're trying to be very intentional about it. We try, and, and our phrase that we use a lot is we want to equip people to launch people. This shouldn't be their final resting place unless they absolutely want it. If this is where their home is, they grew up here, they love Kentucky, and this is where they want to live for the remainder of their days, that's awesome. We'll take that. But by and large, we want to equip people to launch people. We think that if it's good for college athletics, if it's good for the enterprise of of higher education to launch really cool people into leadership positions, that's what we should do. Why would we hold them tight here and try and keep them from doing that? So we want to equip people to launch people. And uh, and that's been a part of what we do. And then the last two pieces are stewardship. Um, I believe that we got a world of takers and not a lot of givers and uh, so i think you got to be a good giver and i think you, you you've been challenged to give away two things in your in your in your time one you should be sacrificial in your knowledge and you should be sacrificial in your talent you've been given those two things you give those away freely and if you give those away freely it'll come back to you many times over i'm convinced of that and then the last thing we got to do is we got to teach people compete with honor and class humility integrity and you do that i mean we uh, the 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 notion of being able to compete at a high level and be gracious about it lose with dignity and and but win with honor um those are words that are hard anymore show me people that want to win with honor lose with some dignity um sense of humility about the way you do it it's hard it's hard in today's world because that's not what our culture is telling people our culture is telling people just the opposite it is a, a me monster. <laughs> and my, uh-huh. One of my favorite comedians, you talk, you talk about the me monster, you know. And, and, um, but I want to try and teach that level of competitiveness. Those are our five principles. And we do that to launch people into the world and, and not just college athletics, to launch them into the world um, to be uh, that kind of
0: leader. Equipped to launch to me is one of the best, not sound bites, but almost from this. Because I think that statement alone Sets you up for so many different things, right? It says, all right, as a leader now in this department, you've got to make it so that when your people leave here, they speak highly Mm -hmm. of their experience here at Kentucky. Mm -hmm. They leave here and people say, what what are they doing over there at Kentucky Mm -hmm. that's different? Because this guy or girl that just came in is a superstar. Mm -hmm. What are they doing over there? Mm -hmm. And you only do that by, again, really being intentional about how you lead and not Mm -hmm. just saying, yes, these people are are assets or commodities, Mm -hmm. next one in, next one out. Absolutely. Um, So Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, what's an unusual leadership practice that you love?
1: Unusual leadership practice that I love.
0: Everybody always hits on the same leadership pieces. I want to hear something unusual that you specifically do because I think leadership Uh, is so individual. What's something that you do that's a little bit unusual that maybe your other peers don't?
1: I don't know. Most people would say I'm not very unusual. So they, uh, I'm relatively normal. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, um, I don't, I don't think we, I, I try not to take ourselves too seriously. Um, I think that, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything really okay. uh, overly—I don't want to waste a lot of time on that. I was going to say, don't need to force that. No, I don't think, think there's—I you know, I hate to go sit there and say, gosh, John, we're so exceptional in this. I, I think when you try and manufacture, I think maybe that's it. Maybe we, yeah. when you try and manufacture it to be somebody you're not, I, I think that's problematic. And I think we just got to be us. And and I, I don't—we don't dress remarkably different. We don't, we don't talk remarkably different. <laughs> <laughs> We're normal people doing, trying to do really exceptional things. Yeah. All right. Wrapping really good people around us, trying to find a way to have some fun um, and celebrate cool things together um, and emotional moments. I think if there's one thing I would say to us, I, I try and encourage passion and emotion from our people where it means something and, and we stir their hearts. Uh, and I, I think that if I would say that's one thing we try and do, we try and capture emotions and passions with our people, and that uh, they, at the end of the day, they go, "Man, there's a reason. There was a reason that that filled me up." Yeah. So speaking of emotion, and, and this question comes to mind. I mean,
0: for you as a leader, I mean, what has been one of the most vivid memories of or, or foundational moments for you as a leader? That something that you look back at and first thing that comes to your head. You think that moment really changed my trajectory as a leader. What, what's one of those memories? Yeah, I
1: think you? that there's I think there's a couple of times when there, there's there's usually it's one of two things for people. It's either a really, really difficult moment that you found your way out of or it's one of those mountaintop experiences. It was so incredible that you'll never, ever forget it. It's one of those two. Very seldom is it anything in between. And I've had both. I mean, I've I've had both of them, where you just felt the depths of despair that it was so difficult, you just weren't sure you were going to make it out of it, and and that came from maybe a couple of situations where you didn't hire the right person, and you, and you felt like. Can you give a specific example? Yeah, you know, I, I think if I went back in time, you know, in our basketball situation, you know, I mean, basketball is pretty high profile here. It is. It's 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 a monster, and and uh, it's 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 difficult, and we went through a really tough time, you know, with. Uh, Tubby Smith. When Tubby left, I hired Billy Gillespie and, and Billy, um, and it didn't work. It just it didn't work, and for a variety of reasons. And and um, we needed to make a change, and our fans were unhappy, and it was difficult. And uh, it, he was a really talented coach. It just it was a wrong fit for for us at the time, and um, I felt really responsible for getting it right. And we were able to to bring Cal in and John Calipari and bring him into our program. And and he was, you know, and and that was so you're a different spot. And then I can think back in football um, three or four years back, we lost a game at at Florida and it was a really difficult loss for us. We just got just got killed. And um, my son wrote. Me a note that night that became our family mantra prepare for rain and uh it's a long story and but it became our family mantra about preparing for for uh a different kind of rain and it it was really cool and it it was a moment that sort of flipped the script of the way i looked at things and uh how how so um it was um based on biblical truths and he said never lose sight of the blessings of uh, of rain uh, that, uh, that, uh, when, when it comes, it's going to come, it's going to come heavy and then the, the blessings will come just be, stay faithful and just keep, keep plugging. So I'm o- it,
0: almost looking at it as a, yeah, as a blessing it was, as opposed it to it just was a it was and from my out.
1: son. And, and it really meant a lot to me that a, a young guy in college would write something that special to dad. And I've got it to this day and it's become our family. We've kept it in our family since then. And, and we, and everybody's going to go back and say, ah, oh, years, I'm telling you, it, it it was, it was important to us. It was those moments. And then you get to those moments built out of that, whether it's national championships, it's a volleyball championship last spring. You know, We've been able to win some things that have been really, really special. And you look back and you look back at the building blocks that it took to get to those pieces. They were really, really lengthy journeys. Mm-hmm. I think that the lesson was, these things don't happen in quick chunks. So when I look at the world we're in today, when I first got into this business, six, seven, eight years you gave coach to to get it turned around and get the culture right. If the coaches in today's landscape don't get it done in about two or three years, the media, the fans, everyone's calling for a change. We need something different to happen right now. And um, I just, to be able to stay in the journey, to stay in the fight, and to remain faithful to your people and faithful to what's going on, it's hard. And, uh, so when you get to that mountaintop experience where you win something remarkably special, remarkably special. So I think you learn a lot out of your greatest moments of, of hopelessness and you find your hope in those mountaintop experiences, uh, that, uh, stir the emotions of your heart.
0: Speaking of kind of those mountaintop experiences, we talked about maybe Mm -hmm. some of the, the lower points for you, uh, Talk about one of when you think about legacy and you think about the high points in your career. Mm -hmm. What what in your mind is like the highest point? This was where I've gotten to. This is this is one of the moments that really stands out in my head. When you say the word high points, I think of this memory.
1: You know, I I think of you know. There's, um, in the last even in the last twelve months, our department has been hit by uh, the loss of several of our student, uh, student athletes and, uh, a coach that was dear and near and dear to our program. And I think about the, the people that have come through here that we've been able to, to have relationship with. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think about moments of sharing the the emotions of, of what that felt like. Uh, uh, we lost a guy by the name of John Schlarman uh, on our football staff to cancer. And, uh, his last game he coached was our game at Tennessee, and the moment of seeing him in that locker room and the victory and what that meant to John Schlarman uh, will be forever etched in my mind, um, and what it meant to the people so close to to John. Those are the, those are the kind of things I think when you blend human heart emotion with uh, the landscape of college athletics, um, that's what what drives. Um, you to continue to want to, the, the beauty of the enterprise of college athletics. Um, we get so caught up in the other stuff mm. um, that we forget that, that that's what, at its core, that's what it's about. Um, you know, I, I think about, there's been lots of great victories and and lots of championships and we've been blessed by so many. To, to pick one out would say that's not fair because there are so many good ones and each of them unique to what they do and and so special. But it, um, I think about uh, a few folks that that walked across the stage with a degree that I thought, wow, mm. I didn't know that 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 young person could make it across the stage. They, I just didn't think they could, and they found it. And then all of a sudden, you look up and they're doing some amazingly cool things. Here, the bad part about where I am right now, being as as old <laughs> as I am, those kid, those folks are coming around with their kids. And I'm going, <laughs> wow, holy smoke! I can remember when you were, you know, I've been doing this long enough that it's they're coming around with kids that are. Seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And you know, wow, that is that's remarkable to think that that's occurred. It's wonderful to see a guy that quarterbacked uh, our Fiesta Bowl team when I was at Oregon State. A guy my name of Jonathan Smith. He's now the head coach at the Oregon State Beavers. I thought here's a guy that was a walk-on quarterback for me who's now leading a Pac-12 program. And you know, those are the kind of things that I I just and then I see. I will say this, and you went to the people that have left our program. The, the young the young administrators that have left our program and now they're unbelievable leaders at really amazing programs. Unfortunately, I have to compete against them now. But I look out and I go, that's really cool. Yeah. Not for me, but for them to think, you know, how proud I am of them and what they've accomplished. It is, it is remarkably cool. And so I think those are my proudest moments when I look up and I see people in really cool places, doing really cool things in their lives that makes me happy.
0: When I think about legacy for you, I mean, that's to me, that almost answers my question of what do you want your legacy to be as one of the, the longest tenured leaders in this industry? Mm-hmm. It, it feels like to me that how how you've launched people and how you've helped other people grow and achieve mm-hmm. things, that's really, to me, what stands out. But maybe you've thought about this question a little bit more from a legacy perspective of how do you want to be remembered? What are the things that you want people to remember about mm-hmm. you as a leader?
1: I would like them to think when, you know, the term I, and I I don't know if I've coined it or not, I'm going to claim it, all right, jokingly. Um, (laughs) Claim it. Generational leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're responsible for generational leadership. We want to talk about leadership as it relates to our organization. I will tell you, I think we're responsible for generational leadership. I get asked all the time when I go speak someplace or I go out and I say, the young people these days. They just don't get it. They're this, they're that. And Here's the problems with this generation. So my response is really simple. They are only doing what they see our generation leading with. So if my generation says this is good, they'll follow that. If they say greed is good, lack of loyalty, honor, integrity, we can go down all the catchphrases. And if they're watching, they're just watching my generation or the other generations that are ahead of them. Mm-hmm. We're responsible for leading generations to follow us. If we want them to be different, if we want them to be at a high level of whatever that is, it's our responsibility to lead them that way. Don't roll out all the pieces and expect them to act different than what, we are current, what we're doing. So I point to our political leaders. I'll point to our higher educational leaders. I can point to a variety of leaders and say they're only emulating what they see. Don't expect different behavior from them if you're not going to lead them properly. So generational leadership is really important. And then I think out of that, and I, and Bill Rapp, Colonel Bill Rapp was a guy that came and visited with us at the SEC, and um, Greg Sankey, our commissioner, does a great job of continuing to try and lead athletic directors and put them in a position. And Bill Rapp came and he said said three things. He said he said that he felt like in, you had to start with a foundation of leading. You had to start with integrity, which we sort of said on, on the front end of what I'm talking about. He said then you have to to build a level of trust, and then you have to have vision in that order. You can't do those out of order. And I thought that was really important because I think sometimes we want to have this vision and we want everybody to buy into it, but we've somewhere along the way we've lost the integrity or the trust piece. If we start with integrity and we we start with right hearts, right minds, and then we build a trust level where people trust us because of that integrity, then we're able to cast a vision to them and give them an opportunity to do that. And and I think that was borne out in the pandemic last year. And Commissioner Sankey, when he came and spoke to our national championship volleyball team this fall, he said, hey, thanks for trusting us for the opportunity to play, for all the health protocols and everything that we had to put in place. You trusted us. And I got to thinking about it. I went back to my notes. They would not have trusted us had we not had some integrity about the way we did our business with them early on. And through that trust, they were given the opportunity to have a vision about is the national championship possible in a pandemic? Yeah, it's possible. It's going to be really hard, but it's possible. And out of that, they won one. So integrity, then trust, then vision, and having an opportunity to lead generational people—that's. I hope that's what they'll walk away from this thing. I hope they say, "Dadgum, they they led well, and mm-hmm. uh, they 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 gave us a, a blueprint or a foundational piece for going forward."
0: The integrity trust and then vision, I think applies so well internally, as well as externally. Mm -hmm. I mean, from our our perspective, right, Mm -hmm. you can't, unless you have that relationship with your fans, and this goes back to everything you're talking about, about balancing that data and analytics with the relation Mm -hmm. aspect, they've got to be able to trust you. And you've got to be able to follow through on when you say you do the things when you say you care about X, Mm -hmm. Y, Z, you got to actually follow through with that before you can say, Hey, here's where we want to go. Um, and both internally and externally, it makes sense. What are some bad recommendations that you hear when you're thinking about leadership or maybe, maybe it's specific to college athletics. What are some bad recommendations that you hear?
1: Bad recommendations.
0: Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not saying call anybody out specifically, but
1: I, I don't, I find people to be again a little bit reactionary, you know. I, I think that, um, I think that football coaches generally have to make decisions on a forty-second clock, twenty-five-second clock. You know, basketball coaches making decisions quick. You know, baseball ma- co- managers making decisions in between innings. That's different. I'm not talking about that kind of quick decision making. That's inherent to the job. I think quick reactions. Um, not taking some time, Um, trying, I try and process stuff a little bit. And my staff will tell you that, that, you know, generally speaking, I'll, I'll noodle on it a little bit. It doesn't mean we have to take a year, but it does mean, I think um, being thoughtful about it, walking away, especially the big ones, especially those big decisions that people are, those are enterprise kind of leading decisions. I think, I think people tend to immediately go. And again, Usually, when they do that, they get to a polar position pretty quick. Mm. They're going to go. I mean, if I'm if, if the problem is on the left, they're going to go completely on the right. If it's com- on the right, they're going to go completely on the left. Take a breath, uh, and and find some calm in there, and then walk through a balanced decision. I think that's really important. You get reactionary really, really quickly, and I think you got to separate facts and feelings. Mm. Um, Tell me more. I think that um, usually, if you'll take the time to get all the facts, you can get to a spot of making really quality leadership decisions, rather than just emotions off your emotions and your feelings. It doesn't mean you don't listen to your gut. It doesn't mean you don't listen to the emotions of what's going on. But you got to find a way to separate facts and feelings and get to a spot where you're generally making those decisions on what on the knowledge of the factual information that you have. Um, you know, I think as athletic directors, a lot of times we immediately all want to call the conference office when a call doesn't go our way on the field or on the, hey, that official, you know, all right, let's, let's step back. And and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. I've been doing this a long time. I'm sure I've called the conference office because Commissioner Sankey does not need to call me out on that one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, you got to go back and you got to get to the facts. What are the facts? And, you know, and I've been wrong more than enough times. But at the end of the day, separating facts and feelings is... Is really, really important and 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 noise and signals. You know, those are the kind of you got to separate the noise from what the reality of it is. And and so I think that uh, we tend a lot of uh, times as leaders, we're so worried about what people are saying about us. Um, if you have your, if you know who you are, and you know what you're about, um, I, I don't. I, I try not to listen to the noise, and uh, I block that out pretty well. Did you see what they said about you on Twitter? Nope. Did you listen to what they said about you on talk radio? Nope, I didn't. Um, don't feel like that's necessary to define number one who I am or the decisions that I make because I know that at my core my principles remain the same, and I will make a principled decision based upon um, who we've been over time and who we want to continue to be.
0: I love it. There's there's so much good stuff to unpack here, um, but we've only got a little bit more, sure. a little bit of time left. Sure. So one of the things that I personally admire about you is your ability to balance personal life and career life. Mm-hmm. Um, big, You're a big family guy, but you also mm-hmm. find a lot of time uh, to go out on adventures and do some different things. You're not just work, work, work. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that yeah. gotten harder over the years as more and more noise, to your point, has come into what we do here in athletics? Uh, has that gotten harder? And if so, how do you maintain the balance?
1: No, we've we, from a family perspective, uh, we've always done it uh, my wife Connie is an amazing. We'll be married forty years next June, and uh, she's been a partner with me this this entire journey. We've uh, been family first. Um, won't won't give that away. Is that, um, is that a
0: motto that you guys actually have and use? Yeah,
1: you know it's, it's she's she's pretty strong in keeping me <laughs> keeping me true to that. Um, we do it together, and I think that's born out of my my daughter's. Um, my daughter, both of them are amazing. Um, both their school, uh, their work in higher education or a, I'm sorry, a secondary education in the, let me back up high school, uh, both associate athletic directors and, and volleyball coaches at the high school level. And then my son is in college athletics at Murray state with Kevin Saul. There it is. And so it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. He's the CFO down there for them. And, uh, but it's, it's been a family deal. And you know whether Scott giving his his old man advice, which I'm so appreciative of that. When you know I think back to that that moment, that critical moment, I think about the the cards that every, you know that my my daughter gives me every game day, and you know, and she always writes a little note in there and says, "Hey man, this I'm just thinking of you today." And or my middle daughter, just the the really, she always she's the one that injects the humor into the thing. And and I say it, you say, "Well, that's goofy," and shit, everybody. I don't know if everybody does that. If they do, God bless them. Good for them. But I will tell you, our family has been really intentional about that. And, and, and we've always gone to games together. I was not the greatest dad in the world. My kids were out till midnight on nights on school nights and we're eating Taco Bell on the way home or whatever it was, you know, we're eating something on the way home. And, and um, you know, but they learned what it meant to be in dugouts and, and on the field and around winning and losing and the emotions of all that. And and they learned that. And I thought that was really important for families. So we really did that together. We've always done it together and we will continue to do it together. And, and that's why, uh, um, I think that it's, it's worked for us, uh, but that's been important. Um, the family piece, the adventure piece, um, I love adventures. You know, I, I, I love that piece of it. My middle daughter's my adventure taker, although my oldest daughter I've run marathons with her and my middle daughter is, uh, she's climbed with me we've been fortunate enough to have been on top of the Grand Teton and in, in Wyoming and uh, I've done Kilimanjaro and Mount Rainier a couple times and several big hikes and I love that stuff it's it's just it it's quiet if cell phones don't work out there it's awesome so that's how you can get away yep and, and you just, you be intentional about that it's it's great and uh and then uh, obviously spending time with Connie is critically important to me so we try and find a way to 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 find some time together.
0: When you think about the pandemic, I think a lot of people rediscovered that they do love their family, or that they had a dog that they never knew they had. Right, especially in our world of college yeah. athletics, where we're working late, we're grinding yeah. nonstop. Yeah. As you guys have come back into the office, have there been some new tactics that you guys have used to say? Because obviously, I mean, to mm-hmm. to your staff now, probably family has re-entered during the pandemic family refocused to be, yes, this is, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm working those late hours. Are there specific tactics you guys have employed as a department to help people be able to manage that personal and work-life balance?
1: I think Dr. Capilouto and our, in our university has been really thoughtful about trying to give people room to, um, navigate the pandemic. Um, I thought I'm really proud of the university of Kentucky in the way that, uh, we were able to find our way through, um, uh, he and Dr. Eric Monday, who's the executive vice president for the university that really led a an amazing um, year and a half I know we're not through it yet. We've got more to to walk through with this variant and all of that. but I thought they did a really nice job of of giving us room to um, work with our staff. Um, we were so fortunate at the university. Uh, we didn't furlough there were you know there was there was really an intentionality about keeping everybody whole as best they possibly could. I thought the university did an amazing job of that. They allowed the athletic department to be a part of, of that conversation. And I think we're, are, you realized how important the job was to people uh, to provide um, and to, to provide a stable environment, uh, a consistent environment where people felt like they cared. Uh, in terms of the things that, that they've done, the, the university's done, whether that's the protocols that have been in place, um, those were all important. Um, but I think it's more just a level of care and a level of, Hey, we understand now, uh, you, this is a, a really cool UK family and, yeah. and wow. Dr. Kepluto and Dr. Mundy did an amazing job with that.
0: Are there things like flex days or things like that, that you've implemented? Or
1: yeah, I think we've always been pretty flexible in that from our perspective, our people work so many hours and, and, and right, I know right. that's, that's not, it's not unusual to any department in college athletics, but we've been always flexible with that. You know, of Operations persons here over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Just get out of here, man! Don't, don't we don't want to see you for a day or two. You get out of here. Go get your go get your breath. And, you know, and and frankly, we jammed a bunch of events into last spring. Oh yeah, a lot of those fall oh, sports yeah. got all of a sudden you've got fall sports rolling into the spring and the spring sports on top of that. And here we go, and and it was hard, and and our people were taxed at a high level. And so trying to be intentional about thanking them and and were we perfect in that no but i think we we really tried hard to to make sure that they knew how appreciative we were of what they did and how they did it and and i i was really proud of the fact that of all the things that went on in the pandemic we only had one weekend we only lost one weekend of competitiveness our baseball team was not allowed to compete one weekend because of COVID with the exception of that our teams all were able to answer the bell um we were able to uh, put on the events um in a very safe environment and at the end of the day we last year in a pandemic year we won two national championships and a first ever sec title and swim and dive women swim and dive for us so competitively we competed at a high mm-hmm. level and finished 12th in director's cup and maintained an academic excellence that i was really really proud of we had the ncaa woman of the year in asia site um we've you know that was wonderful she swam for us and from louisville kentucky and uh, you know, I just look down the resumes of the things that happened last year in a pandemic year that doesn't happen unless you have a group of people that really, really care. Yeah.
0: Let's bring us home here. Final question. We've got a lot of senior leaders listening to this show, especially in co- college athletics. Mm-hmm. Is there one piece of advice that you might give to them? Let's say you've got a, you've got a billboard on the side of the road, so it's got to be tight. It's got to be concise. Um, but any piece of advice you would give, whether it be around leadership, serving student-athletes, serving your customers, serving your people, um, what piece of advice would you want to leave people with?
1: There's a pastor out of uh, Oklahoma City, Craig Grishel, and I think he says, it's, if it's important, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. And I'm not saying that you go to whatever ends to make it work, but I think that if, if something's really important to you, you'll work at it and you'll do it with the right heart. And, and that's, I guess, my message would be: find a right heart. Do it with the right heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, your genuineness, your genuineness, and and your your passion, your emotion, uh, will shine through. Um, I think having some simp- sense of of understanding of others in today's world is really, really, um, I think, important. Um, and then love what you do. I, I, I don't. I think in today's world, I mean, you're asking for a billboard. I'm not sure I gave you I gave you a quick billboard. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, but, you but did I, initially. Yeah, but but I think I think you know that it's, no one no one wants martyrs. This isn't a, a time for that. Uh, everyone's important, and everyone cares. And I think that to stand up and act like we're the only ones doing something, or we're the only ones that care, or that the burden is so difficult that I just you know. I think that's that's a little little much, and so I think that uh, you find a way to to do it with the right heart, and uh, don't don't make excuses. Just uh, Dr. Todd and I, I guess what I would close with he, I was going through a tough tough time when I first came to Kentucky. I was not from Kentucky, and they didn't think I understood Kentucky. And uh, there's a few folks that didn't want me to last very long. And uh, I went in and said, Doc, I'm struggling. He says, he's, Let me just tell you something. Uh, when in doubt, work. Mm. When in doubt, work. Okay, I can do that. What,
0: what was yeah? What was the impact that that had on you? What, what were I your? Stuck, how did your actions change?
1: I just stuck my. I, I quit listening to the noise. You know, I quit listening to the noise. Uh, my wife told me that I didn't listen to her. Uh, I should have because he told me the same thing. You know, don't listen to the noise. Just put your head down, and go to work. Quit worrying about what they're saying. Just go to work. And, uh, that was great advice. He told me the time that his companies were struggling and he was so worried about being able to maintain his companies. He said, I just said, just stick your head down and go to work. Okay. When I began to do that, intentionally doing the things I knew to be right, um, those things began to take care of themselves. And so I've never really spent much time. Will I go on a talk radio show? Absolutely. Will I visit with folks? Absolutely. Glad to do that. It's part of the responsibilities we have. At the end of the day, um, though, um, just go to work. And uh, don't make excuses. And uh, don't act like the burden of leadership. If you want to lead, it can't be a burden. It's got to be something that you treasure and you appreciate and you want to make people Uh, the great, uh, equip them to launch them and and put them in a really good position to succeed. It's a
0: great, great way to wrap us. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and being so generous with your time. Uh, hopefully we've made an impact on some of the listeners here and, and hopefully they think a little bit differently about leadership or serving our student athletes or serving fans. But, uh, Mitch, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Great being with you.
0: We'll talk soon. Thanks for everybody listening. Bye. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic. And with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk, and it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season, but how do you train the workers that start mid-season? Or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally, and you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked in has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to CheckedIn.app. That's C H E C K. D I N dot app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at engagement in our normal day in the office. We're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer centric to see how we might be able to help your organization visit engagementpartners.com to learn more, download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies or schedule a call with us. If you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives, our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.